Hello friends, freaks, nerds, and geeks, all those of you unabashedly burning in the ephemeral flames of existence right alongside me. I'm your host, Jay Van Veen, and you're listening to Why Did You Make Me Read This, your weekly comic book podcast. Deadpool. Deadpool, Deadpool, Deadpool. You know him, right? He's that off-color comedy comic book superhero that the super handsome guy plays in the big budget movies. The slapstick, fourth-wall-breaking kind of good guy despite being a murderer that you love. But before that, before Joe Kelly and Matt Idelson created the new status quo for the Merc with a Mouth, Deadpool was kind of the subversive cool for all of us nerdy kids back in the 90s. He was the badass Marvel mercenary you told everyone you liked when you wanted to let people know you knew more than just the major players of the Marvel Universe. You like Wolverine? You like Ghost Rider? Yeah, those dudes are cool, but I like Deadpool. Who's Deadpool? Psh. Anyway, Deadpool first showed up in the New Mutants. Then he became kind of a reoccurring character in X-Force for a bit. He actually popped up in Nomad, a more obscure comic from the 90s that is one of my favorite uses of the character. And then this was the time he started gaining a lot of popularity due to his cool look, his dope weapons, and his comedic dialogue. Uh, and this popularity gained him his own four-issue miniseries. But we're not going to be talking about any of that today. It was in 1994 that the second Deadpool miniseries came out. In my mind, this also four-issue run is the definitive Deadpool story. I personally think the later stuff got a bit too wacky. All the fourth wall breaking and extreme absurdity that came to define the now oversaturated character disinterested me even as a kid. So when I think of Deadpool, this is the story I think of. This is the Deadpool I think of. This is my Deadpool. The 1994 Deadpool miniseries was written by Mark Wade, with pencils by Ian Churchill, Lee Weeks, and Ken Lashley, inks by Jason Minor, Bud LaRosa, Tom Wergesen, Jay Minor, and B. McLeod, and colors by Dana Mooreshead and Mike Thomas. The story opens up in a laboratory in the dungeon-like basement of a dingy prison. One Dr. Kilbrew is experimenting on the diseased body of Black Tom Cassidy, whose flesh is being taken over by some viral wooden growth. Black Tom looks like a monster, his body being consumed by bark and branches. He's writhing around on a table as Kilbrew's experiments seem torturous to the villain. The wall to the laboratory smashes down as the juggernaut barrels headfirst into the scene, here to save his best friend Tom. But before the two partners in crime flee the scene, Tom tells old Juggy to grab the doc and take him with him. After all, he might actually be able to cure him of this viral timber infection. A few weeks later, we find ourselves in a seedy New York bar. A man whose face is masked completely by bandages is talking out loud to whoever will listen to what he's got to say about this fight he got into with Wolverine. 
A local barfly starts to express some interest in his tail, but becomes uneasy as the bandaged man starts to slowly remove his dressings. The barfly screams and runs out the door as we see the exposed face of Deadpool, his horribly disfigured countenance a strange source of the jokes he tells. Come on, he says. You should see the other guy. This comic is so fucking 90s, it might as well come with a squeeze-it, a Tamagotchi, and a Cranberry CD. Anyway, Deadpool keeps a running monologue of jokes through his yellow, backgrounded word balloons, nursing a beer alone in his booth as a crew of soldiers for hire sneak into the joint and send a rocket-propelled grenade straight at the anti-hero. These boys think it's game over and a job well done, before from out the wreckage flies a now-masked and fully-costumed Deadpool who quips as he kills. You have any idea how hard it is to find a joint that'll serve a guy in a mask and a bandolier? They won't even let me in Taco Bell. And it's non-stop jokes and violence over the next several pages as Deadpool battles the soldiers of fortune. And they seem to get the upper hand on Deadpool right as our deus ex machinas hit the scene in the form of a flying Irish mutant father and daughter duo using their sonic screams to dispatch the remaining assassins. That's right, kids. It's X-Men's own Banshee with his daughter and X-Force alumni, Siren. I love me some Marvel characters' crossovers and cameos. These two are here looking for a recently escaped Black Tom Cassidy, who is not only a devious and malicious villain on the loose, but also happens to be Banshee's cousin. Deadpool digs out a beer from the debris and cracks it open as he asks the Irishman just what the hell is going on. Tom's out of prison, and Banshee feels the familial obligation to put his cousin back in handcuffs. But right now, Banshee's more curious why Tom is looking to tackle Deadpool. Banshee decides it's time to head out and continue his search, while Siren decides to stay with Deadpool, figuring she might be able to track Black Tom by tailing his target. Deadpool continues his relentless pickup lines as he hits on the red-headed bombshell that is Teresa Cassidy, also known as Siren and Siren starts to tell Deadpool off just as a remaining mercenary sword flies down at her head from above, only to be parried off in the nick of time by Deadpool's own blade. Deadpool starts fencing with a fella and showing off her Siren, taking his eye off the fight and looking back at her to make with a quips mid-combat, and this ends up with Deadpool getting his hand cut clean off by the man he's fighting. Hey, yells Deadpool, that was my favorite hand. I'm trying to show off for the Brodsky here and you're making me look doofy. (laughs) He runs his blade into the belly of the mercenary as we take a moment to appreciate dialogue such as this. Siren runs over, attending to the bleeding Deadpool. Your hand, says the Irish girl. It must hurt like the devil. Only when I laugh, says Deadpool. (laughs) Ha! Oh! And this is the type of shit ten-year-old Jay Van Veen thought was hilarious in 1994. I still get a kick out of it, tell you the truth. Deadpool explains he has a healing factor. The hand will grow back any minute now. His wrist bleeds like a running faucet as Deadpool goes unconscious. And then we get a flashback. Because comic books fucking love flashbacks. It shows Sean Cassidy, otherwise known as Banshee, on a mission back in the day when he worked for Interpol. And it's a whole lot of stuff we don't really need to get into the minutia of. Sean and his partner are almost killed by a mobster, Deadpool bursts in with all the pouches and swords and black and red glory that he lives in, and he kills the mobster before they can get to him, thus collecting his mercenary paycheck and ultimately interfering with the mission of the Interpol agents back in the day. Back in the present, Sean Cassidy is going to visit with this old partner from his Interpol days. Sean is now an X-Men, 
And this other guy is maybe still an Interpol agent, but in New York, for some reason, I have no idea. It doesn't really matter. Sean's here to tell this guy that Black Tom Cassidy is on the loose in NYC and gunning for Deadpool. And the old partner of Sean's, he has some beef to settle with that loudmouth Merc. Speaking of Deadpool, let's get back to him because it's his goddamn story. Deadpool passed out and Siren brought him to some place safe to recover. Deadpool is able to concentrate real hard when he wakes up and use his regeneration ability to grow his hand back. And normally, his healing ability would have just had his hand grow back easy and in a matter of minutes. And something is definitely on the fritz with his powers. Deadpool asks what happened, and Siren tells him he fainted. Deadpool gets angry when he hears this. I didn't faint. Old ladies faint. I blacked out. To which Siren says, six of one. And you know, I've never known what that meant. I've read this comic probably 50 times since I was 10 years old, and I have never had any idea what six of one means. So I finally looked it up. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's a saying that means it doesn't matter what you choose because the outcome is ultimately the same. Hey, can't say you never learned anything from this podcast. Anyway, now that Deadpool's up, he's instantly getting fresh with Siren again, and Siren warns him to keep his libido in check. And the two discuss why Black Tom... I'm sorry, did I just say get fresh? Get fresh. Deadpool is getting fresh. (laughs) Am I a stereotypical housewife from the 50s? What is wrong with me? The two discuss why Black Tom is after Deadpool, and that bit of dialogue functions quite nicely as a segue. Cut to Black Tom, who's getting pissed because the soldiers didn't get Deadpool and that his family is now involved. He's specifically worried about Siren, and he's pissed off that this worthless Dr. Kilbrew hasn't been able to cure him yet. Our man Kane Marco, that's the Juggernaut's real name, also the name of a punk band I used to play in, he's upset as well. Why is he upset? Well, he's upset because Black Tom is upset. See, there has been kind of a long-running, subtextual, romantic relationship between Black Tom Cassidy and the Juggernaut. Lots of devotion, expresses of importance to the relationship with each other, overwrought emotion predicated upon the circumstances of each other. There's a good amount of people in the comic books world that claim it's as clear as day that the two are romantic partners. And then, of course, you get the comic book conservatives backlashing and complaining about liberals and LGBTQ agendas and the SJWification of the whole world permeating into the comic book industry. And I say, if you read these comics and look at the two, it's pretty damn clear what the relationship is. And here, Tom is sending his beloved Juggy out to bring in Deadpool. Dr. Kilbrew needs something Deadpool's got. Back in the city, in the convalescence residence that is the squat Deadpool and Siren are in, we see some more of Black Tom's soldiers running into the place marking another attempt at capturing our mercenary hero. But Deadpool and Siren were waiting and hiding and jumped down from the rafters. And here, Ian Churchill's art really shines. Whoever inked this one is just killing it too. I mean, yes, the the dialogue in the story is a little dated and cheesy, in a fun way, but the artwork here is just gorgeous. Deadpool and Siren battling the baddies here is dynamic and colorful and captivating. You can just burn through these pages if you don't take the time to make sure you appreciate them. Things intensify as Juggernaut smashes into the scene, a full panel dedicated to the muscle-bound and heavily armored mystical-powered brick shithouse of a goon coming in. Our heroes know that they can't beat this gorilla in a head-on fight, so they head into the neighborhood knife factory. You know, one of those factories that has conveyor belts full of cutting utensils and boxes upon boxes full of sharp objects. Every neighborhood has a knife factory, right? 
You're trying to tell me there's not a knife factory right down the block from where you live. Knife factory. It's a knife factory. So anyway, there's a brawl in the knife factory, and things don't go in Deadpool's favor as Juggy picks up a bucket full of blades and shreds our hero something fierce. Siren swoops in to save the day, pulling Deadpool out of the way of the rampaging juggernaut, who in turn falls over the railing of the catwalk that they're inexplicably now on. And guys, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know here, but when you fall over a railing in a knife factory, there is always, always a giant vat of molten lava overhead. So Deadpool overturns the vat, turning Kane Marco into a towering inferno of a man, which probably seemed like a good idea until you remember that nothing stops the juggernaut, and that juggernaut is now running full bore at the two while fully engulfed in roaring flames. Siren and Deadpool flee out the rooftop exit, slamming the door behind them and spinning around to see a bunch of goons pointing guns directly in their faces. Always trouble right around the bend with Deadpool. The next issue opens up with Banshee's old Interpool partner. What's his name again? It doesn't matter. This guy is here with some Interpool buddies and he wants to get back at Deadpool for messing up that mission all those years ago. And so this man and his goons are about to bust several caps in Deadpool before the massive inferno that is the Juggernaut once again comes crashing into the scene. Dude certainly likes to make an entrance that way. We get an awesome double splash page of a flaming juggernaut smashing in while Deadpool and Siren jump out of the way to safety, and Mr. Interpool runs away screaming like a little kid. Although Deadpool and Juggernaut have mixed it up in the past, this ain't about revenge. Black Tom is dying, and his doctor needs a little something special that Deadpool can provide. Namely, a biological sample of somebody that has a healing factor. How about instead you take two Wolverines and call me in the morning, quips Deadpool. Juggernaut gets pissed and is about to lay a beating on the Merc with a mouth before Siren swoops in and saves our hero by flying them both to safety, setting them both down on a rooftop nearby. Elsewhere, we see Banshee doing some sleuthing and Black Tom's condition getting worse until we're back on the rooftop with Siren and Deadpool, who are sitting there and having a bit of a heart-to-heart. Siren tells Deadpool she has a complicated relationship with Black Tom Cassidy. Yes, Tom is her dad's cousin, but more than that, He's the man that raised her. He took care of her when her dad was out of the picture for a while when she was but a young lass. Deadpool softens around the edges a bit. Siren gets curious about the man she's been spending this adventure with, asks him what his real name is, and makes a gentle attempt to remove his mask. Deadpool puts his guard back up and grabs her hand. If I want you to know anything, I'll tell you when I'm good and ready, he says. See, this was Deadpool before he was just one long juvenile joke, but I digress. Mr. Interpool interrupts the moment and pumps several bullets into Deadpool, all while yelling about how Deadpool's interference in the mobster case back in the day cost him a promotion, and it seems like a flimsy bit of bad guy of motivation going down before Deadpool sends the guy flying off the roof with a left hook. And that guy almost splatters on the concrete below, just saved in the nick of time by Banshee, who's returned to the scene. Old Banshee saved the man, but has no time for his bullshit, he dunks his old partner in a garbage bin, then flies up to tell his daughter Siren that he has a solid lead on Black Tom's whereabouts. Banshee and Siren start to fly off to go face down the evil member of their family, while Deadpool declares he's out. This should never have been my fight, he says. Siren, disappointed, begins to fly off, simply saying, Goodbye, Deadpool. Wade, Deadpool says quietly. My name is Wade. Siren smiles, turns around, flies down, picks up Deadpool, and follows her father into the night sky to go face down Black Tom.
As the issue ends, we cut back over to Black Tom, whose disease seems to be rapidly consuming him, and he's had enough. Time for drastic measures, you could say. Which is actually exactly what he says. He grabs one of the barbaric and archaic-looking bladed weapons off his lair walls and chops his own hand off at the wrist, having Dr. Kilbrew replace it with the ham that Tom's soldier chopped off Deadpool a few issues back. The next issue opens up with one of those awesome double-splash pages that you had to turn the comic book sideways to look at. You know, like those pervy dudes used to do in the movies when they were reading the nudie magazines? You have to hold it like that. Siren, Banshee, and Deadpool come screaming, literally, into the headquarters of Black Tom Cassidy. The Irish fight amongst themselves as Deadpool sneaks off after seeing Dr. Kilbrew, who was the doctor that originally operated on him to give him his regenerative powers back in the Weapon X program. Deadpool's pissed off as he slams the dock up against the wall. These healing factor powers were supposed to last him forever. Now he's having trouble growing his hand back. Deadpool grabs a scalpel from the makeshift operating room he's in and is about to do something permanent to the good old dock before a siren gets blasted through a wall in the distance and Deadpool feels the impulse to go help this woman that stuck with him and treated him like a human. Okay, now this is my fight, says Deadpool as he goes to slug it out with Black Tom Cassidy. Once again, Banshee's old partner, Mr. Interpool, whatever his real name is, bursts into the scene, seeking out his own contrived justice, but is almost instantly disintegrated by a blast from Black Tom Cassidy. And now we can finally stop talking about that goof. We lose one and gain one as Juggernaut slams back into the scene and hits Deadpool so hard his mask is torn off. Give me back my face! Deadpool screams as he lurches for the mask. Siren, from below, sees the beating Deadpool is taking, uses her sonic scream to blast the landing out from underneath the Juggernaut, who goes falling down into the waters below. The wind blows Deadpool's mask out into the distance, and Siren grabs it as she flies up to see Deadpool. Deadpool hides his face in shame, not wanting Siren to see what he looks like. Wade, she says, you don't have to hide from me. Deadpool spins around to confront her. You want to see me? Really? Fine. Well, welcome to the freak show, beautiful. Siren gasps as she sees the hideous face of Wade Wilson. That's what I thought, says Deadpool. Siren flies down and sits next to Deadpool, apologizing, gently touching his face. Deadpool gets galvanized by this act of kindness and summarily shuts it down, opting to head back into the thick of things. Grafting Deadpool's hand to his own body doesn't seem to have the intended consequences Black Tom Cassidy wanted. He is in agony as Deadpool drops down into the scene and then drops Black Tom Cassidy, about to bring down his sword to finish the fight once and for all. Siren screams in the background, not wanting Deadpool to murder the man that raised her, and we turn the page to see that Deadpool has brought down his sword just an inch away from Black Tom's head, sparing the villain's life. Getting soft in my old age? Deadpool asks himself. Bad career move for a merc. And just when it looks like things are wrapped up, the Juggernaut once again pulls his classic Juggernaut move of literally bursting into the scene. And folks, the Juggernaut in the world of Marvel comic books is a big deal, meaning that his power set is enormous. He can go head-to-head with heavyweights like Thor and the Hulk. He's a villain makes a lot of folks shit themselves when they see him coming. And all jokes aside, Deadpool ain't no fool. Skilled and badass as he is, he could not take the Juggernaut in a fight. So he grabs Dr. Kilbrew and lets Juggy know that if he wants to kill him, he's going to have to go through the good doc to get to him. And the good doc is the only man around that can save the rapidly deteriorating Black Tom. Everyone chills out. Doc stabilizes Black Tom. Juggernaut concedes to let Banshee bring Tom to a hospital, 
vowing to break him out the second he's healed. And the comic ends with Deadpool and Siren talking. Siren's superhero outfit is ripped, exposing some of her upper chest area because, you know, dudes writing comic books. And the two say goodbye to each other. Siren tells Deadpool that if he wants to do something like this again, well, you know where to find me. Siren flies off into the sky, and as for Deadpool, he takes his captive Dr. Kilbrew out into the night with him, telling the doc he's going to be helping him figure out why his healing factor is on the fritz. I'll try, says the doctor. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Kilbrew, Deadpool says. I'll get genius out of you if I have to beat it out of you. When I think about Deadpool, this is the character I think about. He's goofy, but he's not crazy zany. He's a badass and a wiseass, but he hasn't become the full-blown parody of himself yet. And yeah, a lot of the jokes in here are cheesy and corny, and lots of the topical references and idioms fall flat 25 years after the fact, but it's still fun. That's what this four-issue miniseries is. It's fun. We get supporting roles from various X-Team members and villains. We get the ridiculousness of a fight in a knife factory with giant boiling vats of lava. We get the juggernaut who's always been one of my favorite villains, continuously smashing through walls and tearing through panels. The fourth wall-breaking deep psychosis of Deadpool hasn't been developed as his key identifying feature yet. It's dark and violent, but it shows the human side of Deadpool as he softens his edges around Siren. And you know, I can't totally separate myself from the nostalgia of this comic book. Like I said, I bought these issues when I was a kid, during my formative years as a comic book reader. It imprinted on me pretty hard, so maybe I'm just swimming in the circles of my own subjectivity. But I'll take this Deadpool over Joe Kelly's crazy-ass Deadpool any day of the week. The main weakness of this comic is that it switches back and forth between artists that have very different styles. Sometimes mid-book, it'll switch to the other artist's illustrations as you turn the page, only to switch back a few pages later. Churchill has sharper edges and finer details, drawing influence from Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, a popular style at the time, it has a kind of tough and gritty feel to it. While the other main contributor, Ken Lashley, has much more of a cartoony style. Softer. Kind of bubbly, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's in the vein of those anime-influenced Capcom fighting games. At least that's what it reminds me of. It's just strange to bounce back between those two styles in a single issue. It should have been all Ian Churchill in my opinion, but maybe there were some deadlines that he couldn't meet. Who knows? Look, if you're looking for a self-contained story that's short and fun and representative of the feeling from the early 90s Marvel mutants, I'd say look no further than the pages of 1994's Deadpool. Why did you make me read this? A comic book podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Jay Van Veen. Email me any and all questions or comments at why did you make me read this at gmail.com or head on over to Twitter and follow me at why did you comics. Music for the podcast was created by Chris Lidstone, an additional awesomeness brought to you by my friends and you, the listener. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And that's when the juggernaut bursted. <laughs> uh, Jay, you're 35. You're still reading these fucking comic books.